Amen. Go with me to Acts chapter 16. Go with me to Acts chapter 16. I want to talk to you about the journey. I want to chat with you about the journey, the process, the pilgrimage of the believer. So I love leadership stuff. I love to read leadership stuff. It's just, it's my heart, right? I, I just pick up that stuff and I, and I find it super interesting to read about leadership. So I picked up this book by John Maxwell a long time ago called the, um, the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And it was a great book until about I got to the third principle. And that principle was the law of process, about respecting the process and how the ends does not justify the means and how you have to slow down and not be impulsive, but slowly respect the process of leadership. And I'm going to be honest with you. That was a hard chapter for me. I haven't read any of the other irrefutable laws because I just hated that chapter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it was such a difficult chapter for me because I tend to be the person that, you know, I like to see change right away. I see something that's broken or dysfunctional, and I want to see it changed right away. But that's just not the way good change happens. Anybody with me? It's just hard. Trying to get to the destination so quickly and so fast and so efficient that sometimes you miss out on the journey and what God's trying to do on the journey. You know, I, I remember just, uh, let me tell you something. I am like on a scale from one to 10, I still consider myself like a negative, negative one on learning how to vacation. <laughs> vacation is so difficult for me because like from the moment I know that I have to go on vacation I'm stressed to get to the destination once I get to the destination I'm trying to be as efficient as possible when I'm there and then when it's time to end like the second day before it's time to go I'm thinking about okay now we got to begin the process of leaving back it's absolutely terrible to vacate with me I know my wife would scream amen glory to God there's freedom in confession right <laughs> it's just the truth my mind is constant, and, I, and I, I have to learn to enjoy the process. Pastor Keith would tell me, Carlos, the moment you get in the car and you start driving, vacation begins. Just enjoy the journey and the twists and the turns, because if not, you're going to find yourself going from one place to the other, not enjoying anything. And I have a bad testimony to share with you, Okay. I have a testimony. It's not a good testimony, but I have to confess it, and i got to share it with you because I, I, I want us to have victory in this area. I can share with you that because I've been so driven, I've been so driven about getting to the destination that throughout the process, I've not revered the voice of God at times, and I've not revered the voice of others, and I've not even revered myself and my need for Sabbath. Okay, I'm going to stop. And repeat that. I can confess to you that the destination has been so important to me in my life at some points that I've not even revered the, the fact that I needed rest. I've not revered really the voice of God as much as I needed to in the waiting. And I've not revered relationships, those around me, as we go through the process. Now, I'm not saying that that's the story of my entire life, but I can tell you that I can look back and say that there are instances where that has been a reality. 
And let me tell you, this is another testimony I want you to hear from me. It's not worth it. Are you with me? It's just not worth it to do life like that. Can I tell you that your kids cannot afford you doing life like that? Can I tell you that your marriage cannot afford you doing life like that? Can I tell you that your Christianity, your walk with Jesus, cannot afford you to do life like that? Christianity, this pilgrimage, this walk with the Lord, it's a journey. It's a process. It is a process. And as I was reading Acts chapter 16, I just was encouraged because um, the, the apostles and the disciples, they went through some difficult processes. They went through some difficult things, and yet they responded appropriately. And, uh, and so I want to just read that scripture and maybe... Um, now that I feel better after I confessed, <laughs> glory to God. Let's look at the scripture here and see the journey um, as, as Paul and Silas experienced it in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16. Let me ask you this question. Are you aware of the presence of God in your journey? Or are you just trying to go through the motions? Now, holidays are coming up. The elections are coming up. Whatever's going on in your life is happening. You've got to ask yourself, are you aware of the presence of God? Are you aware of his presence? Maybe he's not really welcomed in your life yet as much as he wants to, but maybe he's at the door knocking. Are you aware that he's knocking, saying, hey, if you let me come in, life can be totally different? Huh? Are you aware of that today? I believe that we need to live our lives aware of the presence of God as we do this journey. So now before we dive into Acts 16, we find there's an interesting story about Paul the Apostle and Silas who were going through a very, very f difficult time in their lives for the sake of the gospel. Most importantly, the story tells us what happens when the people of God bless God in the midst of the journey, even when the journey is difficult. Now, before we read the scriptures found there, I think it is cool to keep in mind uh, just how crazy the journey was for the disciples and the apostles after uh, Jesus left and his Holy Spirit descended on them. Let me just give you a little bit of background. Number one, fir first, Paul begins as a terrorist, right? He hates the church. He's persecuting the church. He's an enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ until Jesus Christ shows up, right? He becomes blind for three days until he's led to a believer named Ananias. He gives his life to Christ at that time, and then he becomes from terrorists to the apostle, the representative that God has, call, has called and chosen to share the good news with those who are not Jews. Now, on his first missionary journey, now listen to this. After Paul gets saved and radically transformed and he goes out to preach the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the calling of God and by the presence of God, do things become easy for Paul? Absolutely not. You know, the journey is still difficult. The journey is filled with ups and downs. And the journey is filled with a lot of uncertainty, things that Paul is not even certain about. So when you look at his first missionary journey, you see that he experiences the power of God as he does ministry. Man, he prays for some people and some people really get healed. He prays for some people and some people really get free from demon possession. He declares some words over a guy who is operating in sorcery and in witchcraft, and that guy becomes blind immediately. I mean, the power of God is with Paul all the time as he does ministry. 
He even bored a group of people. He bored a guy to death, literally. He was preaching. This guy falls from the window, breaks his neck, and dies. He goes over there and prays for the guy and raises this guy back to life. So the power, the presence of God was always with Paul. He made some great disciples throughout his first missionary journey. But he also experienced some great pains. He experienced some great persecution. In one area, Paul was persecuted so strongly that a mob beat him up and left him for dead and dragged him outside the city. That means that Paul was beat so badly that he was unconscious to the point that people looked at him and thought he was lifeless. And then, in that condition, they dragged him outside of the city. Whoa. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Right? What an interesting story. Now, on his second missionary journey, Paul again is sent out now with the blessing of the entire church and said, okay, Paul, you know what? You need to go to the Gentiles. You need to go to the world that doesn't know the gospel. We want you to just go. Go out with my blessing. And so Paul then begins by telling the churches in the surrounding areas, hey, we got the blessing of the church. This is what we're doing. And he's strengthening the church and uh, bringing, uh, bringing, bringing life to those churches. In the second missionary, he, he acquires a spiritual son in Timothy, right? It's in that second missionary journey that Paul uh, now gets Timothy and begins to mentor Timothy. And you see that the Holy Spirit is at work in Paul's life, but it is a weird work of the Holy Spirit. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean. Paul, Paul goes and tries to go into Asia, and he senses the Holy Spirit saying to him, I forbid you to go into Asia. That's weird. And then he tries to go in another direction. And the Holy Spirit, again, blocks his way. It doesn't say that he heard clearly from the Holy Spirit, you know, I forbid you, but rather that the Lord made it impossible for him to enter into the area of Mysia. Now, what do you think that means? Talk to me. The Lord made it impossible for him to enter in. What do you think that means? What does that entail? Roadblocks, which means what? Pain in the butt. Which means that God didn't open up the heavens and the clouds and say, Hey, Paul, I don't want you to go there. But as Paul tried to keep going there through multiple ways, things just became impossible. And God wasn't speaking necessarily. He just didn't make it possible. Anybody ever been to that place? God, I'm trying to get this done, but somehow it's not happening. What's going on? And God just seems to be okay with not giving us any direction. Right? Then all of a sudden, he gets this dream of a man of Macedonia, and in this dream, the man just says, hey, why don't you come help us? The scripture says very clearly, uh, as we'll, we'll read into that, uh, it says, then Paul concluded, maybe, maybe we should go to Macedonia. I mean, it's just a dream, right? It's like here he is doing the work of God, blessed by God, Holy Spirit empowered. The miracle power of God is with him, and he can't go into Asia. He's forbidden to go into that area. He can't even go to Mysia. God doesn't even tell him. He just makes it impossible. And then he gives him a dream, not really clear, but just the guy who says, hey, why don't you come help us? And I can just see the disciples sitting around thinking, uh, you know, <laughs> Asia's not happening. Strike one. Missy not happening, strike two. Well, why don't we just swing for the gates and uh, go?
go to Macedonia and see what happens, right? And so they begin to head out to Macedonia. Now in the midst of all that, again, they also encounter great persecution. They encounter stoning. They, they, encounter, uh, they encounter all kinds of, uh, that's in the first uh, missionary journey, they encounter stoning. But they encounter all kinds of uh, affliction in the process of listening to the voice of God. Now, go with me to Acts chapter 16. We'll pick up the story there as Paul and his disciples go into Macedonia, and they end up in a city called Philippi, which later, as he goes into his third missionary journey and then goes into imprisonment, we know that Paul writes a letter to the people of Philippi, which we call Philippians, right? By the way, Paul is in prison when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? He's not trying to dunk a basketball, or he's not trying to lift... 400 pounds of weight he's in prison saying hey i'm here and i know that i can do this because he strengthens me right all right gonna walk away from that one Acts 16 verse 16 on down <laughs> the scripture reads so we were going to the place of prayer we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owner much gain by fortune telling okay pay attention here he is in the philippi area there's a girl who is a, a slave, and she's demon-possessed, and her owners like that because the demons through her are declaring things that are to come in the future or fortune-telling, and that's making them a whole lot of money. She followed Paul and us crying out, except Paul and Silas show up, and the demons start to act up. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now I said, well, why in the, why in the world would this girl demon-possessed declare the truth about Paul and Silas? Well, notice they are declaring a truth, right? The truth that this demon is declaring the truth, that they are men of God declaring, proclaiming the truth of the gospel. That was the truth, but it was distracting the work of the ministry. And it was drawing attention of Paul and Silas. Sometimes the enemy's kind of deceitful. Certain things look really good, but that doesn't mean that they're from God. Are you with me? In life, there are going to be a lot of things and a lot of opportunities and a lot of things said that seem good, but they're not, that doesn't necessarily mean they are from God. Praise God that His Holy Spirit gives us discernment to know the difference. Amen. When you, need, when you need direction from God, know that the Holy Spirit gives us discernment to know the difference. So she kept doing this, and Paul, having become greatly annoyed. I know what that's like. Anybody relate? Okay, let's just walk on from there. Paul, becoming greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. In other words, they're saying this guy, these guys are a threat to the kingdom of Rome. That's not the case at all. They weren't no threat at all, but they were what mad because they weren't making any more money so the crowd the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods and when they had inflicted many blows upon them they threw them into prison 
ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, I want you to notice here. He's walking about doing the ministry that God's called them to do, that the Holy Spirit empowered them to do, walking the walk God intends them to walk. They bring freedom to a girl who needed freedom, needed the freedom of God, and there was opposition. There's something that you can't walk away from in Acts. And that is that the church, when it does the work of the kingdom, will face opposition. Are you with me? We have to stop assuming that the governments are going to line up with the agenda of the church. At one point or another, the church will face opposition. Okay? Now, in the midst of this opposition, they get beaten again by a mob. This is one of the most disastrous ways to get beat. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean. Riots are crazy. Mobs are crazy because they lose reason. People do things in mob settings they would never do because they're being influenced by the spirit of murder and violence that controls that whole atmosphere, right? So just be aware of the kind of beatings, the kind of wounds that the, the believers that Paul and Silas receive. And in that in that condition, without being treated, they're thrown in prison and shackles are put over them. Can you imagine? Wounds getting infected, shackles on them, them experiencing this reality. I mean, it has to be tough, you know? Can you just imagine how hard that would be again? So let's continue to read there. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. Uh, let's pick up at verse 23. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, verse 25. Now, here they are. Do you think these boys have reason to complain? They have reason to complain. God, I can't. I wanted to go to Asia. I thought it'd be better there. You forbade us. Miss you look really good, but you forbade us. Then I got this crazy dream of Mas this man from Macedonia. You know? And here we are doing your work, right? And we get beat for it. We're thrown in prison. We're thrown in prison. What is this all about? And sure enough, I'm not questioning whether they had some doubts. If they're human, they probably question, God, what's going on? But they kept steadfast to the truth of God's word. And then something happened around midnight. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailers woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Here they are, a terrible reality, doing the work of God, thrown in prison with all kinds of wounds, but they make a decision to praise God in the midst of it anyway. They begin to sing praises and hymns unto God. This is a moment where they called themselves to bless God. They didn't, probably, their wounds didn't call them to. Their condition didn't call them to. But they made a decision to speak to themselves, to say, bless the Lord, O my soul. And they begin to bless and praise and sing hymns to the Lord. In the midst of their praise, something supernatural happens. 
the earth quakes. Someone would say, well, you know, the earth can quake sometimes. You know, it could be a natural disaster. It doesn't have to be a miracle. The prison's door open. Oh, well, you know, back in those days, what kind of locks did they have really? Probably just became loose because the earth quaked a little, but they weren't really prison doors. But the shackles came off of every prisoner. What's the excuse for that, Jack? <laughs> I mean, right? All these things are occurring. The power of God manifests in the midst of their praising and their honoring of God in the midst of their circumstance. The jailer there doesn't know what to do with himself. He's thinking, you know, it's probably best for me to take my life. And Paul says to him, do not do that. We're all here. Everybody's safe. We continue to read. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In other words, you don't even got to preach. You don't have to say it. Just tell me what I got to do. This is why the church needs the power of God. Are you with me? This is why the church can't forfeit the power of God to just preach good doctrine. Because there are some instances where good doctrine isn't going to get us anywhere. We need the presence of God, the power of God to be manifest. But can I, can I suggest this? To call on the power of God is to also say, God, we're okay with you putting us in some precarious situations so that your power will be manifest. Are you with me? This kind of miracles requires opposition. question then is what matters most in life our personal happiness or the glory of God and so and they said believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once he and all his family Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is very interesting. The prison, uh, uh, they take in Paul and Silas. They're all wounded and beat up. They don't care if they're wounded or beat up. They just throw them in prison. If he dies, he dies, right? And so then the power of God is manifest through their praise. God makes the earth quake. The prison doors are open. The shackles fall off their feet. All of a sudden, without them preaching necessarily to the jailer, he's like, okay, what do I got to do to get saved? This is the real deal. He gets saved. Immediately, he makes Paul preach this to the family. They get saved. Then they attend to his wounds. You notice that? The boys are still very much hurting. (laughs) You know? And and Paul and Silas, you know, they weren't like, you don't deserve the gospel. You deserve judgment. That's what you deserve. You deserve judgment. You don't deserve grace. You don't deserve mercy. I'm praying for God to bring judgment on you. Somebody asked me a question. Is it okay for me to pray for God to bring about his vengeance on someone's life? Which, I mean, you can pray that. I don't, I don't know that it will be answered. Matter of fact, I don't think you want it to be answered. Do you want God's justice in your life like that? Right? I mean, what if God gave you the justice you deserved instead of the mercy he blessed you with? Sometimes the way we talk 
especially about our government, the way we talk about those who are enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder, is this the spirit that God wants us to have? I'm going to walk away from that one too. But I want you to think about that. Here is Paul with the right spirit. He brings them the good news. They are saved, and the jailer is amazed. Did you notice that? He says, I can't believe I believe in God. I can't believe I believe in God. It's incredible. I believe in God. I believe in God. Can you just imagine that? It's incredible. Okay, let's keep reading. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out of, out of prison secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrate, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them, and then they departed. Very important portion of Scripture. I want you to listen to this. Paul declared the good news. They were wrongly accused, and they were being beaten. And throughout the process of being beat, Paul never told them that he was a Roman citizen. Why? Now, we don't see that in the Scripture clearly as a verse, but we know that Paul could have told someone that he was a Roman citizen. And we know that that declaration of the fact that he was a Roman citizen could have kept them from suffering. But for some reason, Paul withheld that information. Can I suggest to you that Paul withheld that information because he believed the Lord had called them to go through that process? Can I suggest to you that Paul knew this is a hard road? I don't want to take it, but the Holy Spirit compels me that this is the road I'm supposed to take. And can I say to you that as believers today, sometimes God will call us to some hard things. And we are going to be given ways out. We are going to have a multiplicity of ways to excuse the hard road that God has called for us. But yet the Lord has made clear his way. So here is Paul. He chooses the hard way. And again, he takes advantage of the opportunity for the kingdom. He said, no, 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 no. They're not just going to kick us out of prison. <laughs> Don't you know I'm a Roman citizen? <gasps> You're what? And everybody's afraid. The soldiers come, and now they have to, they have to basically parade Paul right out. Sir, we just thank you. Can, if you could just leave the city, please. Right? And to go to Lydia's house, uh, who was one of the women who received the gospel and opened her home and became a great influencer in that area. And, and they ministered there and said, hey, this happened, but we know that this is the way the Lord is telling us that we have to keep going. We've got to keep moving. But you just keep growing in the Lord. And they moved on. And they moved on. In Paul's eyes, that was successful. And the perfect will of God. Yikes. Yikes. So back to the journey. What do we learn 
throughout this scripture about the journey as believers. We do this journey as we respect the process and look for the presence of God in the midst of our journey. I want to remind you of this. Number one, God has a plan for your life, even though he doesn't disclose that plan to you as clearly as you wish that he did. God has a plan for your life. He loves you. Can I suggest to you, can I, can I just say this to you? I believe that God looks forward to you this holiday season. He looks forward to you doing life with him. He looks forward to you welcoming him in, into your life. Part of that is you recognizing he's got a plan for your life. Even though he's not giving you the clear details of that plan. He's at work. God knew exactly the journey that he had laid out for Paul. He knew exactly what God, God knew that Paul would be the man that he would use to change the Gentile world forever. I mean, that's incredible. Paul didn't know the, the specifics of all that. God had a plan for his life. And can I say to you, God has a plan for your life with all the twists and turns and with all the chaos that seems there's no way there's any order or any presence of God in this, I want you to be aware God has a plan for your life. Two, I want you to be aware of this. Some really, really, really awesome, great stuff happens out of really, really bad stuff sometimes. Can I say that? Sometimes some great things happen in the midst of some bad stuff. Viktor Frankl, in his great book, a philosopher, he wrote this book called The Meaning, The Search for Meaning. And he talked about this man uh, who entered into this auditorium where a couple of students were trying to perf uh, make perfect this, this um, play perfectly this Beethoven piece. And, uh, and they just couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it. All of a sudden, an older man, uh, that older man that was sitting back, they just came, uh, this feeble man came to the piano and began to play that piece perfectly, just perfectly, beautifully. And the student says, sir, how do you know this? This man said, I was in the Holocaust camps. While I was there, I found myself a piece of board. And every day I made believe that was a piano. And I played this piece every day. Just trying to get through. I just played this piece every day. And I would hear it in my mind. And it helped me persevere. The camps. Whew. Ain't that something? heard the story of a man named Thomas Hawker I shared with you before during the time where Christianity was strongly persecuted he was put in prison and uh, with other believers and other believers said you know they say that the Lord gives strength to those who are burned at the stake for him if that's true while you're being burned at the stake the ropes come loose would you raise your hands and let us know that God is with you the whole prison yard was looking at this man was being burned at the stake for Jesus nothing after five minutes nothing after ten minutes nothing after a while but all of a sudden, he raises one hand and raises the other and begins to clap to the Lord. Right? Heard the story of a family who was thrown in a ditch, being persecuted for Jesus. And as they were thrown in a the ditch, there was a little boy, I believe that he was eight years old, and he saw the soldiers surrounding them, and when they weren't looking, he booked out of that ditch because he knew that they were going to shoot all, all the whole family, and that boy didn't want to be shot to death, so he left. 
and the soldiers were going to go after him. And the dad said, soldiers, please give me an opportunity. And he called out to his son, son, don't you want to die with us? Don't you want to be with us today? We will be with Jesus. Oh, it would, oh, please come join us as we come meet Jesus. That little boy came weeping into the arms of his father, repenting. And the soldier sat there saying, we can't do this. We can't do this. And they had to walk away from that scene. And others had to do the execution. <laughs> great, great, awesome things happen in the midst of really, really bad stuff. Now, I just told you some really extreme stories. But I told you some extreme stories to let you know in the midst of the really, really bad stuff that you're going through, the things that you've encountered, I want you to know whether there were things that you've experienced because of your own decisions or things that others have put on you, I want you to know God loves you. He can heal you. He can make you whole. And even what the enemy meant for bad, he can turn it around and use it for healing. He can do great, great, powerful things that are really, really bad stuff. And then we'll close with this. Last thing I want to share with you is this. If in your midnight hour, if in your midnight hour you make a decision to praise God, if in your darkest hour you make a decision to give glory to God, it will bring freedom to you and to those that surround you. Would you stand up with me? If in your darkest hour you make a decision to praise God, it will bring freedom to you and to those that surround you. Paul and Silas didn't have to sing praises and hymns unto God. It wasn't something that God commanded them to do, but they did. And all of heaven was moved by that reality. Today, maybe you're in your darkest hour. Maybe you look at the holidays as a dark hour. November sometimes is one of the hardest times for some people. The holidays, right? Because of the lack we perceive we have. But listen, if in our darkest hour, if we just make a commitment to cry and give glory to God and praise Him and have an attitude that says, I will bless the Lord. I'm telling you, it will bring freedom to our lives and to those that surround us. Just like it did for Paul and Silas, just like it did for them, and like it did for, uh, for, for the jailer and those that surrounded them. Can you imagine now? Just picture that. Who are the people around you that would be blessed by God's presence if you made a commitment to bless the Lord? What is the freedom that you stand to gain today if you make a commitment to bless the Lord? To bless the Lord. Father, today we thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for your word. This pilgrimage is tough. This journey is hard. And so, uh, Father, remind us, Remind us of the fact that you have a plan for your life, that sometimes when bad things happen, you, can, you do great, great stuff out of those bad things. And Lord, remind us, remind us, Lord, that when we choose to bless you and glorify you, that when we choose to bless you and glorify you, it brings freedom to us and to those that surround us. Lord, I pray that this holiday season would be a season that we would all make a decision to glorify you, to bless you, Lord, to sing praises and hymns. Hallelujah. But that's not just when we get together in church, but that the meditation of our hearts and our minds will be to bless you and praise you in all things. Bless you and praise you in all things. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, 
you know, Pastor, I've not engaged in this journey. I've been bitter at God. I've not had the right attitude. I, I've, been, I've been kicking against the will of God in, in the midst of this journey. But today, I want to turn that over and say, Lord, Lord, help me to be aware of your presence in the midst of this journey. Listen, I'm not at, the, at this altar already. I'm not running to this altar because I'm already at the altar. This word slapped me a couple times as I was getting there ready. If you're here today and you're saying the Lord is calling you to respect the journey and be aware of his presence in the midst of the journey, would you come up to the altar right now? Right now. You're saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I want to trust you. I'm going to give you my heart in the midst of this journey. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Hmm. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I've been going through some very difficult times. And I realize that the last thing that's been on my mind is to praise the Lord and to bless Him. I've just again, I've had a bad attitude throughout the whole process. And I realize that it's not a commandment. It's not that I have to. But I realize how much freedom I'm lacking and how much freedom and joy the people around me are lacking because I am not responding appropriately to you in the midst of the circumstance. Or I'm not a pro uh, responding appropriately to the Lord in the midst of the circumstance. If you're here today and you're saying, I'm going to make a decision to bless God and glorify Him. And I want to turn over to Him a complaining nature that I've had I want to turn over to him, and I, and I confess, I don't know how to do that, but I'm giving him permission to do so, to help me turn that over to him. If that's you, would you come up to the altar right now? Would you come up to the altar and say, I want to give this to the Lord. I don't want my life to be defined by complaint. I want the kind of praise, the kind of praise that shakes the earth and sets prisoners free. I don't want my attitude to stand in the way of what the Lord wants to do in the midst of terrible times. I want my praise to change things. That's you. Would you come up to the altar right now? Father, thank you for your presence. Lord, teach us to respect your process, Lord, to trust you in the midst of the process, Lord, and teach us to bless you, God, to bless you, Lord, to bless you in all things. Thank you, Lord God, that we are going to be an earthquaking people. <laughs> Thank you, God, that we're going to be a people about freedom, who give freedom to others because we choose to bless you. Not because we feel like it, but because we choose to bless you. Thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you for reminding us, God, this is a journey here on this side of eternity. This is a journey. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We'll be praying here at the altar. so good to me, Lord. I just want to praise you. I just want to praise you for being so